that our choices have consequences. And God lays upon us a responsibility to make the right kind of choices. Uh, Last week, and I mentioned that I wanted to spend two weeks on this, last week uh, we talked specifically about the doctrine of eternal condemnation. Many people find it a hard, grievous thing to call upon the Lord for mercy out of faith and for salvation. But the consequence of that choice is eternal condemnation. And that is what the Bible clearly teaches. But the Bible also equally clearly teaches that God delights to honor and reward faithful servants. And that will be the subject matter before us this morning. A lengthy passage, so if physically it's best for you to remain seated, go ahead. Otherwise, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 16. Matthew 19, 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, 
or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers unto his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here idle all the day? Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto all unto us which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. And let's pray. Father, I pray for your help this morning that I would not misrepresent your intent in any way. that I would speak faithfully and accurately to these, your people, for your glory and their good. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may, of course, be seated. So last week, our subject matter was what God has in store for those who reject him. And this morning, our subject matter is what God has in store for those who follow him. We have three episodes here in which the Lord is talking both about eternal life and rewards. The rich young ruler comes, obviously misguided in his belief that he has been faithful to the law of Moses in every detail imaginable. 
And when he says to the Lord, well, I've done all that, well, what do I yet lack? The Lord does not point out to him the first four commandments, which revolve around God, but simply says to him, well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have laid up something for yourself in heaven. And of course, he went away very sad for he had a lot to give. Peter then, and are we not always thankful for Peter? Peter said, we did give up everything. We did give up everything. Where does that leave us? And where that leaves us is with Jesus' lengthy explanation that we have just read. There are a number of people, folks, who find the very idea of laboring for reward unacceptable. Some would argue that it makes the idea of Christianity transactional. Right? If I just come and appeal to you on the basis of you'll get a reward if you do this, then Christianity just becomes one more marketing scheme. Some people would argue that if you motivate people or encourage people with the concept of rewards, you are arguing against grace. But it does not, folks. The only way that we will ever be saved is because of God's grace. And because of God's grace through faith in His Son. But I would point out to you That every single human being, and as I stand here this morning, I realize that I am for the most part standing in front of a group of people who profess faith in Christ. Every one of you will be judged according to your works. According to your works. It isn't that some are saved by grace and others by works, all men are judged by their works. The question will be, what is the nature of those works and what drives them? What motivates them? And in fact, folks, the Bible is very clear that only a truly saved person is able to work in such a way that God is pleased with that work. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God is a worker and He wants people to do good works. And the problem with unbelieving people is that their works are never going to be adequate It is not a situation where those who believe have no work to do. 
Some would argue that God is worthy of faithful service even if there's no return, and there's an element of truth to that. But it doesn't change the fact, folks, that God holds out the prospect of reward to his people. A reward that is somewhat different than simply going to heaven when we die. It is God himself who does that. Now when Jesus told the young man, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, the young man found it hard. Let us not be under any illusions, folks. Making decisions in light of serving the Lord are sometimes hard decisions. And Peter pointed out, not that he had believed everything that Jesus had said, which is true, but that he himself, along with his companions, had left everything. And they did. They walked away from their fishing boats and their lifestyles and followed Jesus. When Peter posed that question, Jesus did not say to him, how carnal can you be to ask if there's anything for you in this? Neither did he point out that Peter should simply be grateful that he would be saved. How could you ask anything else? But what Jesus actually did, folks, was answer the question fairly thoroughly and very carefully. I'm not going to ask you to turn. I'm just going to read through them quickly. But let me just read to you a sampling of Bible verses that motivate us to right conduct on the basis of reward. Matthew 6, 1, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 10, 41, he that receiveth the prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth the righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Matthew 16:27 For the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels and then shall he reward every man according to his works. 1 Corinthians 3:8 Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 2 Corinthians 9:6 But this I say he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. James 1.12 Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. 2 John 1.8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Revelation 22.12, and behold, I come quickly, 
and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So it is not a matter of carnality. It is not a matter of turning Christianity into a transaction. It is not in any way attacking or diminishing the grace or the kindness or the glory or the mercy of God. For us to be aware that we labor for a purpose that is beneficial to us at the end. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, folks, and I want to insert a disclaimer at this point in the message, beyond any shadow of a doubt, there are no shortage of biblical mysteries that attend to how this will work. Is the reward simply eternal life? Or are the rewards individual in nature? Are those rewards material in nature? We have probably all heard some well-intentioned pastor point out to us that in Jesus' house there are many mansions and talking about heaven almost as if it is some gigantic neighborhood where everybody gets their own residence. And then depending upon how well rewarded you are, you may live in a nicer neighborhood or I guess, I don't know, some of you might end up in the slums or the ghettos. I don't know. In this passage, Jesus certainly appears to offer to the disciples at least something that appears to be tangible. And to others, the promise of lands and houses. But other passages promise things like crowns. Are they real crowns? And of course, we know that those crowns will eventually be cast at the feet of Jesus. So what does that mean? And above all, folks, I would point this out. Whatever the nature of the reward, whether it be something tangible or intangible, whether it be a commendation, whether it be some position or placement in the kingdom, none of these crowns will be tainted by any kind of sinfulness. In other words, if your individual reward far exceeds my individual reward, for sake of illustration, because neither of us are any longer sinful, you will not gloat and I will not envy. But we will look at those rewards only as the Lord himself looks at them. None will be bitter over what they do not have, and none will be bragging about what they do. No sense of injustice will be attached. These are the crowns I have, but I think I deserve more. No, it will not be like that. It will not be like sinful earth. 
So there is a mystery. There, there are things that we don't know. There are questions that I could not answer. But there are indicators in the text that help us to understand a little bit about how this is going to work and the methodologies to it. If you will look, for instance, at Matthew 19 and verse number 28, we are told that there is a time when they will come. When do the rewards come? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, That's what he said to the rich young ruler, follow me. That's what Peter said we've done, followed you. And those who have followed me in the regeneration, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. Now, without going back and revisiting all of the subject matter and all of the detail and all of the controversy, I would propose to you folks that what Jesus is doing is tying the timing of the rewards to the kingdom. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, teach a thousand-year reign. Jesus will return to earth and sit as the king over the world. And his servants will serve him. When will these rewards come to the people of God? In the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory. That is when. That is when. And it appears that the rewards will be unique. That there is a sense in which the reward is not simply, you have made it, man. You have been delivered from eternal condemnation. But notice again verse number 28. Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory... Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. These are twelve rewards for twelve men. When Jesus sits upon his throne, Peter will have a throne. I would understand from that and infer from that that God is going to reward his servants uniquely. They are related to their service and to their sacrifice. Verse number 29. And everyone Because only 12 people can sit upon the 12 thrones of Israel. But everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters 
or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. And folks, I would propose to you that the context here would include, but is not primarily limited to, the relationships that you may have lost for your faithful service, those who have turned away from you. It may be that if you become a follower of Christ, we know this from 1 Corinthians 7, and your spouse does not, that you will lose your spouse. But folks, you will not lose your house simply because you have become a follower of Christ. There has to be something that motivates you to leave your house. It may be that Jesus is looking down the road to those who will be missionaries. Those whom John calls, those who went out for the sake of his name, taking nothing of the Gentiles. Numerous times in the Bible, believers are told that they will be rewarded for their works, judged for them, rewarded for them. And Jesus also points out to us, folks, that the reward is disproportional to the sacrifice. Verse 29, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my namesake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. It is not one or the other. We're not all down here, folks, manifesting varying degrees of fidelity to the Lord, paying different prices for faithfulness to the Lord only at the end of the day to discover that we are sharing the common pot. Well, you all got heaven. That's true. All of God's people will inherit eternal life. But what is equally true is that not all God's people will be rewarded equally. Every man will be judged according to his own works. Every man will receive according to his own labor. The law of sowing and reaping created by the Lord is that you reap more than you sow. And we will come back to verse number 30 in a moment. Because verse number 30 and verse number 16 of chapter 20 really are the bookends that bring that part of chapter 20 to bear. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first because, you could read it that way, because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then Jesus will go on to explain, and then in verse number 16 of chapter 20, the word so means in this way or thus. 
Many that are first will be last because of what the kingdom of God is like. And in this way, the last are first and the first are last. God rewards us for labor, folks. God delights. God delights to hold out the prospect of reward for faithfulness to him. He finds joy in that. It does not threaten him or diminish him or cheapen him to be able to commend those who have lived for him. In chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, the great takeaway of the chapter, folks, is that all rewards are under the mastery of a just and sovereign God. All rewards are under the mastery of a just, gracious, let me add gracious, and sovereign God. These 15 verses that constitute the bulk of the parable are Jesus' expansion upon Peter's question, we have left everything, what do we get? Well, let me, let me give you a detailed answer, Peter. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It is like unto a man that is a householder, a despot, that's the actual word, a house despot a man who wields absolute, uncontrolling authority over his household. And he goes out in his graciousness, and over the course of a day, he hires laborers to work in his vineyard. And he promises every laborer the same wage. I will pay you what is right. They agreed with him for a penny, a day's wage. It doesn't matter what it is, folks. What matters is this. He was up front about what they would get. They agreed to what they would get, and they went into the contract. And I will pay you what is right, and I will pay you what is right, and I will pay you what is right. But when he gets to the end of the day, he is accused of being unjust and unfair. A long history of justice is met with criticism. This is the parable. This is not the actuality of the kingdom. This is the parable. This is a parable that is explaining how Matthew 19, 27, and 20 through 29 are going to work. How is this going to go for those who inherit eternal life and reward? How is this going to operate? Well, let me tell you it's going to operate. It's going to operate this way. It is all under the control of a righteous, generous sovereign. That's how it's going to operate. And he argues then that his rewards are right. 
Chapter 20, verse number 13. He answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? I didn't do you any wrong. Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Now again, folks, we can read that and go, you know, I don't feel like it's exactly fair. If if anybody did that, if I'm I mean, come on, let's be right, let's not lose our minds here because we're looking at a Bible story. I would be willing to venture a guess that if it's not happening at this moment. It has happened in the past that you have worked with people who have not worked as hard as you do. I remember when I was in college, for a brief time, I had a job in a sheet metal factory. We cut up pieces of sheet metal to be turned into stoves and appliances and caskets. And for a short window of time, I worked the midnight shift on what was known as the sort line. They, they would bring in a big stack of sheet metal of all different thicknesses. And one of the guy's jobs was to measure how thick the sheet metal was, call out a station number. There were 10 or 12 stations. And then the other guy, which was me, would make sure that it got off at that place so that we could sort them by their thickness. And we worked out in this warehouse, and it was miserably cold in the winter. And it was not in any way a fun job. And a guy that I went to college with, when the foreman showed up, he was a hard worker. And when the foreman walked out the door, he went over and sat down. And we got the same hourly wage. We got paid the same rate. Have you ever worked with anybody like that? I hope you've never been that guy. I hope nobody's ever looked at you and go, I work harder than he does. And folks, when we live and work in that kind of a world, what do we think? We think that's not fair. So here's a guy, and Jesus hires him at 8 o'clock in the morning and agrees to pay him a day's wage. And here's a guy at 6 o'clock at night, and Jesus pays him a day's wage. And we go, hey, that's not fair. And the Lord goes, what do you mean it's not fair? I paid you what I promised. I paid you what I told you I would pay you. I gave you what I said I would give. Where is the unfairness? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last even as unto thee. And folks, there really is a sense in which at the end of the day, all of us are going to end up in eternal life. But not only is the sovereign master just, he is generous. Verse number 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? That's a great question, folks. 
that is a lot easier to ask than it is to answer. Doesn't God have a right to do anything he wants to anybody he wants to do it to? And within the framework of this conversation that he's having right here, doesn't it really fall to the Lord to reward generously to whomever he wishes, regardless of anybody else's opinion about their worthiness to receive it? I don't think he's worth it. But it's the Lord's to give. And our attitude, folks, verse number 15, is thine eye evil because I am good? It's mine to give as generously as I wish. That should be of no concern to you. I have not wronged you. And of course, folks, as you read through the parable we've read, you have people entering the work at varying times of the day. Which could mean, right, that what you have over the course of history is people entering into God's labor at different points in time in history. There's, there's a little bit of, I suppose, legitimacy to that because God has always had workers in his vineyard. But, but there's a little bit of a weakness to it, folks, in that if you wanted to hold the parable firm and apply it to history then what you've got to do is figure out some way to have, like, let's say, a guy like Abraham still being alive when I entered into the picture. And now we get now and, and now the day ends, and there am I and Abraham, and we both get the same reward, and Abraham goes, Man, I've been doing this for twenty five hundred years, and he's been doing it for fifty years. I don't think I'm getting a good deal. It just you know, if, if you press it too hard, it's a little bit difficult. Personally, I'm very glad to be a New Covenant Christian living in America in the 21st century rather than Israelite wandering in the wilderness in the Old Testament. But another way of thinking about verse number 15, folks, and verse number 14, take thine is and go thy way, I'll give unto this last as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is to think about the generosity of God. The justice of God is that you will get what you have been promised. The reality, folks, is that in the course of the same workday, we are not all equal, are we? We're not all equal. We do not all have the same gifts, and we do not all have them in the same degree, do we? Neither do we have the same opportunities, do we? Nor do we have the same amount of life to give. What of someone who gets saved later in life? Where are they? Or what if someone dies at a very young age? What about them? 
Or what if someone is genuinely desiring to serve the Lord, but is just very physically incapacitated? What about them? Or what about people of two equal, let's say, two equal, equally gifted people, both faithfully exercising their gifts in one appears to have tremendous worldly success or success in the world and the other does not. What if you give the gospel faithfully and nobody ever comes to Christ and then you meet somebody who gives the gospel faithfully and it seems like everybody they meet comes to Christ. Now what? Now what? Well, folks, I would just point out that the master is not only just, he is generous. And so then in verse number 16, and thus it is in this way that the last will be first. And thus it is in this way I'm not going to stand here and tell you folks that I can explain to you fully either 1930 or 2016. I read dozens and I'm not exaggerating, a dozen, maybe not dozens, a dozen journal articles, commentaries that I have on Matthew things that I tried to find on the internet on exactly what those verses mean. The only conclusion I can reach is this. We don't really know. But I would suggest to you that they mean at least this, folks. There is a divine computation at work. This is in the hands of the master in a way that it is not in the hands of men. Peter says, we've left everything. What do we get? Well, okay, here's the way it's going to work. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits in his glory, you're going to get 12 thrones. And everybody who's left lands and houses and family members so that they could be faithful to me, so that they could serve me, they're going to be rewarded and they're going to get eternal life. And many that are first will be last. Because the kingdom of God works this way. I'm just and I'm generous. And it's mine and I give it the way that I wish to give it. And because of that, some who appear to be last will be first and some who appear to be first will be last. Many are called, the call has gone out to many, few are chosen, respond to the invitation. The kingdom is always just. In other words, folks, if it was only a human mathematical computation, how, many, how much land did you leave? How much land did you leave? 
How many relationships did you lose? How many souls did you win? How many converts did you baptize? How many years did you serve? If we could put all the information into an Excel worksheet and calculate the reward, take all of that, multiply it by 100, here's a reward, then it wouldn't have a divine element at all. But it does. But it does. Because it is all under the hands of a just, generous, sovereign who is in control. Now I think that Jesus is particularly pointing to the Jews who believe that their Judaism made them special and he is pointing out to them particularly at the end of verse number 16 that salvation is much larger than simply being a Jew. Many are called you were chosen. But just a reminder of this, folks. Nobody has more at stake in your Christian life labor than you do. We are laboring for the Lord. There is no doubt about that. We labor for his glory. We are conscious of his worthiness. We are aware, Paul said, the grace of God that came upon me wasn't wasted. I labored because of that grace. But he also said, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And he was looking forward to receiving it. God does as he promises. He gives graciously. He gives in justice but he does give. And he encourages us to be faithful servants. Not exclusively in that way, but in that way. Let's pray.